This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Let's talk about the Olympics. Yeah. First of all, uh, your thoughts since, cause, you know, there's lots of preamble going into the games, whether venues, this, that, the other, this case, politics, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we are a few days in. What are your thoughts just, you know, as an overview, looking at the way these things started? The opening ceremony is, of course, spectacular. Yes. Uh, but what are your thoughts just on the competition? What do you see from point A to point B at this point? You know what? The Olympics are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're one of the most popular events for a good reason because you have nations from every corner of the uh, of the earth yeah. you know you have Eritrea in the winter olympics uh with one athlete you know Tonga with the uh, you know the oil slicked shirtless athlete yeah. you know you have these minuscule um, uh, countries going up against the likes of Norway, which always does well in the Winter Olympics. You know, Canada very recently has been one of the powerhouses, and rightfully so. You know, the uh, the Olympic athletes from Russia, <laughs> formerly of Russia. Uh, you know, Germany's always strong. You know, but you did have... we ever hear any more about that little dust up that happened between the Canadian athlete and the Russian athlete? That no, uh, there was some sort of dust up in some common area, some cafeteria between one of the other, and uh, this was on the weekend. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, and uh, somebody said that it was. The these were athletes going yes, into really? Yes, and oh, somebody no. said that, and somebody from the Canadian contingency had to apologize to the Russians. Oh, and I missed it, that had, one. it had something to do with uh, somebody making a comment about the doping. Oh, no. Yeah. So, so anyway, how has that? Yeah, so I, you know, I think, I think the competition, um, whenever you get the best of the best, for the most part, we won't go to the NHL and, and the Olympics. Yeah. But when you get, you know, supreme athletes, uh, you know, elite athletes in their sport getting together every four years, it, it holds something special because sure. these medals mean a lot. Yeah. They've gone through training, sponsorships, rehab in some cases if they're injured. Uh, you know, they're, they're in World Cup events, uh, you know, in, in Europe or, or beyond. Uh, you know, these athletes really have prepared for most of their life for yeah. this one moment, whether yeah. it's a race or, you know, figure skating competition, something that's judged or something that's timed. And whether they realize their dream or not, it can be a, an amazing story or it can be a heartbreaking story. And we've seen a lot of that over the first, you know, just a handful of days. And that's exactly why I think people love this. That's what so it's much, all about. Is that there's the storylines, the each yes. individual athlete and whatever they've done to get to where they are. Talk about the cold, because yeah. I remember being, I, I, I was lucky enough to work in Calgary during the 88, 88 Olympics. And there was a lot of chatter then that Nakiska, the Olympic mountain, was built on the wrong side of the <laughs> slope and didn't <laughs> get enough snow. Yeah. It was on the sunny side instead of the you know snowy side. But the, here we have extreme cold. How you is know, this affecting uh, athletes, even the wind? It's definitely, I think, more so the wind than anything because, you know, they had to reschedule the snowboard. They had to cancel or postpone and reschedule uh, some of the downhill skiing because of the wind and yeah. uh, even the slope style. I mean, because the wind is is that ferocious and this, you know, really cold front from yeah. Siberia is bringing yeah. in this, you know, chilling weather. You're, you're talking about, you know, temperatures, daytime highs of minus 15. I mean, yeah. something that we went through, you know, early this yeah, morning, the cold right. weather alert. Yeah. So, you know, compounded with the wind, you know, the dangers, and we heard from, uh, you know, Lori Bluen on, on Bill Kelly's show earlier mm. today, you know, big gash under yeah. her left eye because she crashed because it was so windy during training and the competition was so windy, but they still went ahead with it. And they were, you don't want you know, to be going, athletes, you don't want to be going airborne when there's wind like no, that. No, yeah, no, no, no. At all, yeah. and you know, these athletes are thinking. You know, no one talked to us about whether we thought it was safe or not. Yeah. They just said, "Okay, we're going ahead with the competition," right. and they did. And you know, luckily, no one was seriously injured. But still, uh, you know, these organizers have to find a way to because hey, there's there's tickets that have been sold. There's yeah. people coming to these events. Uh, they can't 
continue to postpone yeah. you know these events because they got to get they got to get them in are they uh, are they worried at this point that they will not get them in due to weather I think there's always a contingency there always there's always a plan, plan C really yeah, I think yeah. you know at the end of the day uh, you know with with the downhill skiing they had to postpone and I think they have one more postponed date uh, I'm not sure an Olympics has ever been extended due to yeah. whatever circumstance whether or not Um but, but yeah, the fact of the matter delays. is, it, yeah, yeah. It, there, it has impacted these games. Not not crazy negatively, but it has created an interesting storyline. Uh, one case of doping with a Japanese speed skater, yeah. I believe. First and only, and you know, it's it's not surprising in this day and age. You yeah. know, some athletes or, or some uh, Olympic federations that we've seen in the past will try to gain an advantage, and some you know, some Olympic federations are really uh, 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 they don't know that some of their athletes are on these things. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like the the athlete will go to you know the uh, let's say the uh, you know South American uh, downhill ski federation and say, hey, you know what, uh, I'm going to be uh, on steroids here. So just uh, you know, just never a mind. Heads up. Yeah, just a heads up. Uh, should something come down the yeah, pipe in case you, know, you get a bad test? Yeah, it's uh, you know, uh, apart from what Russia is uh, alleged to have done, and, and, and I really believe now the has story. that scared people off? I mean, are you surprised we've only had one case of this so far? Uh, is this still early in, early on? I wouldn't say I'm surprised. I you know, when when I heard about the the positive doping test, I thought, yeah, here's here's one. There's yeah. going to be a few more. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a handful, and I think. Hopefully, you know, my hope is uh, there will be a games when we have none that, you know, these athletes realize Mm -hmm. that, hey, you know, you don't need these substances. I know you want to achieve the greatest heights or be the fastest person or whatever, but if you play clean, I think you're going to be as... Uh, you know, as immortalized if you win a medal or not. And how do you put this toothpaste back in the tube? Too? Well, that's I mean, the thing. There's only now. one way to do it. You right? can't. Now. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about Canada and what yes. they've done. More medals today. Uh, yeah, three more medals today. We have uh, a gold and mixed doubles curling. I love the sports. Mixed. Doubles, doubles curling. curling. So a man okay, and a woman, d- right? two two people on a team. Yeah. It's fast-paced. There's only eight ends instead of ten. Uh, there's two rocks already in play when you start. It's, so talk. what's the yeah. difference between a traditional curling game and this game? Well, a traditional curling game, you would have a total of eight people, four yeah. on each team, and each person would throw two stones. Right. Uh, in mixed doubles curling, your first two stones are already in play. Right. Uh, then you take turns basically throwing stones until you have no more stones. Uh, the scoring still the same, you know, closest yeah. to the middle or closest to the button uh, is still shot stone. You get the points, and, and and that doesn't change. You also get a power play in which you can put additional stones exactly where you want them, and the other team has to combat that. It's that's it's, bizarre. Yeah, it's really a fast paced. It, it's almost. It's almost as if uh, they're rushing to compete yeah. in this sport. I mean, there's there's a speed element to it. As if somebody you know? said, "Pick up the <laughs> yeah, pace." Yeah, come on, we got to get done too in an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, John Morris and Caitlin Laws they they lost early on in the competition, but then they just bulldozed everyone. Yeah. They won the gold today, beating Switzerland ten three in what was really you know a match for the ages uh, for them because they they really couldn't miss any other shots. Yeah, uh, Kim Butan from Sherbrooke won bronze. In the women's 500-meter short track speed skating, uh, she finished fourth in Sochi. Uh, pardon me. She finished fourth earlier on in the competition, was bumped to third because one of the South Korean racers had been disqualified for right. interference, and obviously there's the rules that they have to uh, abide by. And Alex Goff, another great story. Here's a lady from Calgary who won bronze in the women's luge. First time ever that a Canadian has been on the podium in Olympic luge, men or women. Mm. Um, and she finished fourth in Sochi. So here's... Uh, the uh, you know scenario today in which she is third, there is the second place or the person that 
is looking like is, is going to get on the podium and finishes fourth. And so the Canadian stays on the podium. She wow. was thinking, I'm going to finish fourth again, yeah. you know, and going through that emotional roller yeah. coaster, and she gets a medal, and it's amazing. Man, that's great. So where did mixed uh, curling come from? How did this originate? Uh, this is the first time, is it not? This is the first time in the Olympics. Apparently it was conceived in 2001. So this thing's been around for you know 17 years, basically. Right. Uh, more and more people are starting to play it. It is a lot faster pace. You don't need three other pals or gals <laughs> to join in. You only need some, you know, one other person. Maybe right? it was born out of necessity at your so, local yeah. club. <laughs> Joe and Jack can't make it. Let's just play two on two. Uh, and that's probably how it started. But, uh, yeah, it, it's really, if you haven't seen it, uh, it it's really a fun sport yeah. to watch. Coming up uh, today, we still have the men's hockey tournament that's going to be beginning. Uh, Canada's playing Switzerland on Thursday. The tournament itself begins tonight. Uh, and Kevin Cooey, back to curling, will play Italy uh, in the men's curling opener, and uh, Rachel Holman will play South Korea in the women's curling opener on Thursday. All right, so uh, your thoughts on, uh, obviously, NHL out this year, yeah. and uh, it's sort of a ragtag bunch of people. Yeah. You know, I don't know, I-, I thought when we took the NHL out of the Olympics, we would sort of see the junior teams just kind right. of come up. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how it used to be. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, guys, well, he used to play with whatever, whatever, yes. blah, 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 blah. Well, it's all the, you know, it's the NHL cast-offs or guys yeah. who've been in the league. It's guys who are in. But it used to be more like just an elevated junior team. Yeah, it was not. a national team. Yeah. And basically, Canada, the national team that no one played in the NHL because, well, they couldn't, they couldn't yeah. get there. They weren't good enough, basically. Uh, now it's guys from, you know, the, the KHL in Russia, the Swiss uh, Elite League, the Swedish Elite League, all these leagues in Europe. Up, uh, some AHLers who are not on NHL contracts uh, and, and guys who've been in the National Hockey League, so they have that experience. Um, so it's basically everyone that everybody isn't in the, that isn't in except the NHL. for those that are in the NHL. Yes, <laughs> and so, Russia has a big advantage because a lot of their guys play, at least on the Russian team, in the KHL, which yeah. is a you know pro Probably, league. That's yeah. basically their NHL. So um, as you look at you know having the NHL in prior to having the NHL in yeah. and post having the NHL in. What do you think of this? Well, as a sports fan in any sports, whether it's hockey or baseball or luge or whatever, you want to see the best compete, especially at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, right now, we're, we're not going to see that. We're not going to see the best hockey players in the world because 99.9% of them are in the National Hockey League and they're not, they're not allowed but to play in the Olympics. But is it best in, in the world or best amateur? Well, I think it's the best of the rest. Yeah, you know, it's the yeah. best of who's not in the National Hockey League. So it's right. really not the best. Now, in saying that, we may not necessarily have the best, uh, you know, downhill skier. That person could be yeah. injured. But still, I, th- I think as a whole, we don't have a, a, you know, a National Hockey League of downhill skiers or losers right. or whatever. They are just simply, you know, athletes who are the best at their craft. So uh, worth having the NHL in then? Is, well, I, I much prefer it. Yes, it's much more exciting. I think the TV networks are going to see a dramatic difference. Or in, go back to a national team with... Well, even that, I mean, it's still you're still going to have the best players plus, in yeah. the NHL, right? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I think I think the time difference was probably the, the biggest reason for it. Right. I know in 98 in Nagano in Japan, there was that time difference. But being the first time that the NHL was at the Olympics, we all woke up at 2, 3, yeah. and 4 in the morning to watch these yeah. guys. Now we won't wake up at 2, 3, or 4 yeah. in the morning to watch you yeah. know guys that we don't really know. So does this affect the NHL in any way? Does this uh, the Olympics being on, does it dent their viewership at all? Oh, does, do no, they I count? Nobody yeah, cares I don't think so. I mean, States. 
I think come the medal round, if Canada's in it, Canadians yeah. will watch because we want to right. see our guys, you know, do well. No, no different than the women's hockey team will be watching. Um, I, I think the NHL continues to motor on, and if you're a fan of a particular team, you're going to watch their game. No different. Last night, the Leafs are playing Tampa Bay. I'm watching that game, yeah. but I'm flipping back yeah. and forth between yeah. you know Olympics and, and the Leafs, and uh, that's that's just the way it is. Hopefully, by 2022, the NHL will be back in and. We'll Maybe we away. should go to mixed hockey. <laughs> that would be amazing. The Koreans are doing yeah, it. Just sort do it three of. Three. Yeah, just do it Yes. Mixed double luge. Mixed double luge. Wow. Well, just close your eyes. In this day and age, Scott, <laughs> I'm not sure we could do that. It's a good idea, oh, but we'll good. put that in the trash bin. All right, never mind. Okay. Uh, Rick Zamperin, sports director uh, for 900 CHML. Rick, as always, thanks. Uh, much appreciated. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. The company Unilever, Dove, Lipton, that sort of thing, threatening to pull ads from social media companies due to toxic children's content and fake news. They argue that the social media giants need to do more to protect against uh, bad news and stuff that's uh, inappropriate for kids. In other words, they don't seem to have much control over where their ads go, whether it's next to a fake news site or a post by Logan Paul, what have you. Uh, And, of course, this has made uh, large corporations take a closer look at where they spend their advertising dollars. To talk more about all of this, Ian Lee is with us, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, and is on the line with us now. Ian, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. My pleasure, Scott. Are you surprised at this? Um, no, I'm, I'm going to say something really contradictory. I'm not surprised at all, and I'm absolutely shocked. And I want to unpack that. On the one hand, I applaud them, and I think everyone will, for saying they want to stop racism, sexism, uh, terrorist ads on the Internet, um, um, uh, anything that exploits children, for sure. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. Uh, and, and so, you know, kudos to them that they are that they are, are, are going down that road. However, I read part of his speech that he's giving, I believe, today or tomorrow in California. And this is where I'm deeply troubled, and I'm really getting very, very nervous. It said, Unilever does not want to advertise on platforms which do not make a positive contribution to society. And it's one thing to say that we want to stop bad things from happening. That's perfectly legitimate. We want to stop the exploitation of children or people that incite terrorism, for example, or anything of that nature. We're talking basically criminal behavior. But now they've gone way, 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 way beyond that and said, you must induce or say things that are going to create a positive benefit to society. Well, I think that that has gone way, way over the line. Who is going to police that police state, that state of censorship, to uh, monitor whether you or me or anyone who's on the net on Facebook or Google is saying things that are going to make a positive benefit to society. I mean, right away, right off the top, I think that that's really defensive to society and destructive, what they just said. Don't you think that's so should just... we not censor Unilever now for p- putting out such 
toxic ideas that would they want to censor everything on the net to be con- a positive contribution but in the end Ian isn't that all just uh, good PR political garble that you know sounds yes. good when you're when you're releasing a statement just like this to make so it what, sound like the CEO now. is socially conscious and really I think what they're trying to say at the end of all of this Ian is they want control over where their ads are placed yes, they don't they, want, do. they don't want them placed to stuff that they feel is is inappropriate I, I, I have no problem with that if they had said and limited it to that. I'm condemning them for huge overreach. I'm not condemning them for saying we have the right to put our money where our mouth is. I, I agree. And I have no problem with them saying we are not going to uh, put it on a site where there's some really vicious and vile and probably criminal uh, images or uh, 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 conversations taking place. Completely agree. And they should have stopped right there, exactly at that point. But then they went further, and they went far too far, where they said, we will only support stuff that is on the net that is creating a positive contribution to society. Now, who in God's name is going to make that decision? I'm sure there's people out there right now that think Ian Lee doesn't make a positive contribution to society. Let's ban Ian Lee from using Google and Facebook. Does any of that really matter, though, at the end of the day? Because, again, he, he you know, he's concerned about whether where his ads are. Uh-huh. Unilever is concerned about where their ads are being placed. Uh, and while they're launching this, they're going to make it look like they're holier than thou and yeah. say, by the way, we shouldn't be doing any of this and yeah. any of that, uh, yeah. you know, uh, either. That being said, can social media or these sites help Unilever with their concerns? Can they control where their ads are placed? Facebook has already taken a step in that direction, as we know. Um, so is Google. And they are looking now, I've read this, I've done some research on this, and it's a good thing, to ferret out to stop the most vile, the most disgusting um, uh, activities. Um, or to, I, I presume that that includes uh, child pornography, I would hope. I would hope that they shut it down uh, uh, absolutely. Um, Google specifically mentioned that they're going to take down sites that promote ISIL and other terrorist organizations that use YouTube. I applaud that. So there, I, I think that there is, I, I haven't seen a public opinion poll, Scott, but I'm sure if I saw one, or we all saw one, that we would think, we recognize that there's probably a pretty strong societal consensus that we should be uh, going after that kind of behavior. We're talking really vile, really disgusting, typically criminal, illegal behavior, for sure, for sure. But the moment they start going off into, into a cloud cuckoo land, and I really mean that, saying a posi- you have to contribute a positive image to society, I mean, we're, we're way, that's way beyond censorship. I mean, first off, obviously, who makes the decision what's a positive contribution to, to society? And that's why I think that the corporate social responsibility crowd, if I can call it that, that, that movement is, is going over the edge and they're going too far. They're overreaching and they have to be very careful that they have to limit their demands, limit their lobbying, limit their activism to bad behavior 
and not to behavior that they simply disagree with. Well, it's their money, and they can do what they want with it. Well, I think that, though, that they're going to risk a backlash, because then that there's a word for that. It's called censorship. Mm. And so that, does, does that you will know... blow back on them just as badly, because that's, I think most people would agree that that's considered is it really censorship? Social, social responsibility. Is it really censorship, though, Ian? Because, I mean, is it any different than, you know, anyone who, you know, whether it's one of the traditional... Uh, television networks that air something and a sponsor goes, you know what, that's inappropriate, we're not doing it, so the sponsors pull out of it. I mean, inevitably, you know, the, it's a, it's a the, the network has to cave to that, right? That's, they're Scott, paying the right, bills. But it, it is a fine line because mm. I, I say it's a fine line, but again, we're not talking about criminal and illegal behavior. I mean, that's just, oh, that's just off yeah. the charts yeah. and unacceptable. We're talking now in that very, very gray area right. where <laughs> one person is offended by a, a movie or, or a television scene in a, in, a, in a movie or in a television show. So and does Unilever's challenge have weight? Is technology, are technology companies listening? Are they heeding this advice? I think my sense is, and I did go to Google's uh, uh, web, to their, uh, their press release website, as well as Facebook. I have been following what the CEO, Mr. Zucker, Zuckerberg, I believe is his name, uh, the owner, um, has been saying, uh, as well as his number two, the very, very able uh, uh, woman who is the, uh, the senior vice president of Facebook. They are very clearly concerned about this. Uh, because they're worried about legislative blowback. They've actually uh, said that they're concerned that the Congress, for example, might intervene and legislate something they don't like. So what I think they're going to do, and this is their response, I think, will be that they're going to go after the most extreme and abusive and disgusting behavior that's out there on the net where there's a very broad and deep consensus that that should not be allowed. Procter and & Gamble also on board as of last year, too. Yes, and, and so uh, to the extent that they do that, I think that they're going to, Google and Facebook will really do themselves a lot of good in the court of public opinion if they say, look, we're going to go after, you know, child pornography, people like um, uh, marketing terrorism, <laughs> you know, come and join ISIS so we can blow people up, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so I think that there will be a very strong consensus. They will enhance their brand uh, if they go after that. But the moment you get into the area of, shall we call it, artistic aesthetic judgment, um, uh, about something that was said by an actor or an actress or a journalist or a professor, I think that they're going down, as I said, the wrong road. Is this the pendulum swinging back? Yes. Is this self-correcting? I do believe. You know, it's, it's, I'm glad you asked that question because I've been making arguments lately about Trump, and I'm, I'm not trying to change gears at all. But I argue that in certainly in Canada, the U.S., the two countries I know the best because I travel extensively in the States, lived there twice on sabbatical, that there are in both countries checks and balances inside, checks and balances inside, checks and balances. And I don't just mean rule of law, charter of rights, bill of rights. I mean there's checks and balances in social media, there's checks and balances in the universities, in the hospitals, in the, in the media such as your industry, where we're constantly on the lookout for really inappropriate or unethical or sleazy or disgusting behavior. It's not just the Parliament, the laws passed by the Parliament or the Ontario legislature. And so this pendulum swinging back is one of the most powerful, I think, checks and balances in our society. It's a self-regulating thing. It's, it's reflecting us in the court of public opinion. And that I think there was a sense at the beginning, the euphoria of Facebook and Google, oh my goodness, it was like a toy store, you know, unlimited candy. Mm. And then we realized there was a downside 
to this unregulated, unlimited amount of candy, and there was all kinds of nasty stuff out there. And now the pendulum is swinging back. The legislators in both the Congress and in Canada are are picking that up in you know their ears, their their antennas, picking it up. And of course, you on by talking about this and raising it as an important issue on your show, and so the pendulum is swinging back and saying, look, there's no such thing as quote absolute freedom you know that old cliche mm-hmm. you cannot go into a crowded theater and shout a fire uh, when there's no fire you know there are limits on on freedom of speech but we have very broad limits and and i think that this is a recognition that there that the uh, we went a bit maybe we went too far uh, and i'm talking the the world of the internet mm-hmm. in the last 5 or 10 years can social media control this uh, because really i don't think these sites were constructed Constructed with this ability built in, uh, that they can control and manipulate ads and, and so on and so forth. Can so can social media control this to to corporation if standards? You mean by social media, the companies like Facebook and and mm-hmm. uh, Google and some of these very can they very guarantee those companies that their ad will not show yeah. up next to a bad Logan Paul uh, video or um, an ISIS video? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a programmer. I want to caution you, but I, I, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a heavy user of technology. I mean, both hardware and software, and and which never ceases to amaze me. And I don't just mean my laptop or my cell phone. I'm talking the latest technologies in automobiles and buildings and elevators. And 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 my point where I'm going with this is there's an awful lot of incredibly smart people at Google and at Facebook. I mean, unbelievably smart young people. And do I believe that they, if they haven't developed yet the technology to be able to filter this stuff and catch it, they could develop it very, very quickly because they've got the money and they've got the brains to do it. So I do think that they can. I'm not saying they would do it with absolute accuracy, but that they can capture most of the 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 abusive stuff out there that we don't want. It's not a question of them positioning it. It's you want it removed completely, <laughs> so it doesn't have to worry. So Unilever doesn't have to worry about their ad being located nearby a, a really disgusting, offensive uh, uh, website. Obviously, Unilever is hearing from its customers, or it wouldn't be doing this. Um, I'm not so sure, you know, I, I, and I, 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 your point's well taken, Scott, but I think that in the last five, ten years, these big corporations, I mean, these really big corporations, and I'm talking on the marketing, the retailer types, you know, like the Unilevers. I don't mean oil companies and big industrial companies, but these companies that are in the marketing space, and I'm talking the Procter & Gamble's and the Unilevers, and anybody who's at the B2C company, they're selling to directly to us consumers, and they're becoming more and more and more sensitive. They're getting ahead of the wave ahead of the curve because they want to get there before uh, an NGO, a, a social group, uh, uh, jumps up and starts hitting them over the head for being uh, irresponsible. And so I think that they're, the, in this instance, and things like this, they're actually probably leading as opposed to following. So where do these companies advertise? What does that mean for traditional media? Well, that's the point. I mean, one-third, according to what I've read, uh, one-third of the Unilever's uh, advertising is now digital, online. And uh, as we all know, when you talk about the online world, it's quickly become very, I don't want to say monopolistic, but oligopolistic, pardon the jargon, which means only a few very, very large companies. And and so you don't have a lot of choices. <laughs> so you can threaten and you can do use the court of public opinion and, uh, t- uh, you know, to announce to the Googles and the Facebooks and so forth, what they're doing, to put pressure on them publicly. And they are also 
very sensitive to the public opinion. So I think that that's what they're counting on. I mean, they're, they do use traditional print media and smaller media, but one-third, as I said, of their budget is, is digital. So uh, I do think that they've got clout. When you spend that kind of money on advertising, like a Unilever or a Procter & Gamble or any of these enormously big retailers, then you do have influence. You've got clout. Couldn't these social media companies see this coming? Um, I sometimes uh, think that they were so caught up in their own... Um, in the movement rather than how to monetize it. Yeah, because they were, you know, there's, there's a lot of young people there, and I don't mean that critically. I mean, Facebook is famous, and so is, so is Google. There's just a ton of young people. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're pushing the envelope, and they're priding themselves on being avant-garde and innovative and... And as I said, pushing the envelope, coming up with new things and, and new ways of looking at it. And they don't, uh, when you start talking like this about restricting something, that's sort of a more traditional, old-fashioned way of you yeah. know, thinking. It's like regulating the Internet. Regulating the Internet. And that's anathema to Silicon Valley mentality and to, I would suggest, to people at Google and Facebook. And I don't mean that they're irresponsible. I'm just saying that that's not their natural inclination, I don't think. So where is this going? Will we see this be cleaned up? Will we see, because obviously with the whole uh, election of the president down south, the whole yeah. fake news mantra, the whole, that, that's what really has drawn attention to all of this. Yes. Uh, where do you see this? Do you see it self-correcting, coming all the way back? Where, where do you see this going? I think that uh, um, that, uh, that Facebook and, and Google are, are, I mean, they're not only obviously extraordinarily large and successful IT companies, but they're also very, very savvy in terms of Washington. I'm using the word Washington to mean the political regulatory process. And they know that right now they're in the crosshairs. And they know that there's congressmen there beating up on them. And, and some of the social uh, so NGOs who are commenting on the abuses. So uh, my sense is, because there's, and I really, and I don't have any shares in these companies. I don't consult to these companies whatsoever. But they're they're so sophisticated, and they're so sharp, and 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 their antenna is. And I'm talking now, their their VPs and so forth, and the CEOs. That I think that they're going to, they're going to uh, clean this up uh, before it gets imposed upon them by the Congress. The last thing they want is a Trump administration set of rules. Um, I mean, that will be really the kiss of death for Facebook and, and uh, Google. So I think that they're going to try to come up with something that is adequate, that, that uh, keeps people happy, that they're resolving and addressing the problem. And uh, to, support, you know, to stop um, or to head off Congress uh, intervening with regu- laws and regulations. It seems odd that, you know, you're considering uh, what happened with the election of Donald Trump and, and all the allegations of, of, of Russian hacking and how they yeah. tried to interfere. It seems the technology that has been invented, invented uh, helped elect a president that the, I would say a, certainly a large part of these companies aren't really happy with. I, I think you're right. And, and you think perhaps they're looking inward and going, "Wow, it's our, our beast that got a hold, that got away from us, that allowed this to happen." Yeah, but I think that they also, because they have very great confidence in themselves and their technologies, that they're saying, "Okay, now how do we, how do we, uh, you know, uh, change the technology or tweak it or whatever, or how do we uh, disseminate it to others so that it can be used uh, against?" And I think that that's what's happening now. I mean, the Democrats are are waking up. The Democratic Party in the states are waking up to the fact that they weren't 
not as sophisticated on social media as the Republicans. And so, you know, the, the pendulum is swinging back. I mean, we saw that with the liberals. They, they got ahead of the conservatives in 2015. They were much more uh, um, um, dynamic and, and clever with social media. So it's a, it's, a, it's a constant game of cat and mouse, if you will, almost like the arms race. You know, one side gets the technology, the other side goes out to get it too, to, to respond. And, and so I think that they will, they will catch up. And I don't think that this will give a permanent advantage to the Trumpians in, uh, in the future. If anything, it'll start to work against them. Ian Lee has been with us, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. If you've been uh, trying to buy a house or sell a house, even for that matter, in the last year, it's uh, been quite the roller coaster ride uh, as temperature or as, as uh, prices rather uh, went up and then came down, uh, and now we're seeing interest rates uh, start to climb. Is the stress test created by the Trudeau government causing a squeeze on home buying for the middle class? To talk more about all of this, Tim Hudak is with us, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, and he's with us now. Tim, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. You bet, Scott. And I want you to know that you are my CHML Valentine. There you go. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, at least you, you at least you sort of narrowed it down to this one particular radio station, of which you talk to a ton <laughs> of on any given day. I get it. I get it. So, hey, do you, Bill Kelly. Do you? There you go. Do you wish? Uh, and, and we'll talk about this much later. But do you wish that you were in politics right now? No. <laughs> no. 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 I mean, it was awesome to serve, right? But it is a crazy time and. Maybe we can talk about it uh, after the housing stuff, but I've never seen anything like these last two weeks in the PC party uh, in my entire career watching politics. All right, let's get to this first. Uh, so obviously this time last year or last year we started to see prices just get out of hand, uh, huge, huge increases. And then all of a sudden the government announced that there would be a, a series of stress tests, the latest one to come into effect on, on January 1st. Obviously we've seen things slow down a bit. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I mean, it fits that old uh, line that Ronald Reagan used to have, right? When governments see something uh, moving, then they start to tax it. It's still moving, then they regulate it until they basically stop it. And I'm worried uh, that's where we're, we're heading. Look, there, there was a massive response by governments across the board to try to slow down real estate markets. And I'm really worried that they went so far that it'll mean that a lot of people who aspired to own a home or that young family that just had a kid and wanted to upgrade, that they're going to be out of luck. Are you in agreement, though, that they had to do something? I mean, it was getting out of hand. What could they do? Yeah, look, I, I think the number one thing that you and I have talked about is increasing housing supply, right? I mean, there's more people that want to move into Hamilton and Burlington and the GTA. That's a, that's a great thing. We weren't building enough housing supply to keep up. And as a result, you had more people chasing fewer houses and prices go higher and higher. The problem today is, as you said in your introductory comments, the, uh, the Trudeau government has brought in what they call a stress test. So how that works, let's say you go down to your, your local bank in Hamilton, you negotiate your mortgage rate, and the federal government now says you've got to qualify for two percentage points higher. What does that mean? Well, it means about 50,000 Canadians will now get squeezed out of the market. They won't be able to buy because of this arbitrary measure. And it also means that the value that you can spend goes down by about 20%. So you're looking at spending, say, 500000 to buy a home in Hamilton. Now all you can afford is 400000 So 
so many don't get in the marketplace or more likely don't upgrade. Would building would have building more houses uh, solved this? Uh, and that would take some time, wouldn't it? Like, is that the answer? Just build more. It is. I mean, everywhere I go, there's an inventory problem. So, you know, in the Hamilton, Burlington area, you've seen a significant reduction in the number of houses uh, on the market. And the long-term answer, and you're right, Scott, you can't build a house overnight, you can't build it in a week, but the long-term answer is more housing supply and more choices. So if you have the time of life that you want to live in a condo in downtown Toronto or along the lakefront in Burlington, great. If you're raising a family, you want to have a backyard to kick around the soccer ball, we need more of those, too. So uh, this isn't just about housing. This is about condo or um, housing, meaning uh, the the backyard and such, uh, suburban living. This is condos as well. Yeah, you know, so get back to stress tests. Who does this hit the most? Like, who, you know, who are the unintended consequences of real-life human beings that are negatively impacted? Well, you know, people like my grandparents who came to this province from what was then Czechoslovakia and and they bought a house because first of all they wanted property it's a smart investment and secondly they're going to raise a family so you know grandpa took two jobs grandma worked on the side they converted the upstairs into an apartment so they'd have money coming in to pay down the mortgage under this new stress test new Canadians like my grandparents they wouldn't even qualify and they'd never experience home ownership why are we not building more housing I think the government has gone too far. Uh, the pendulum swung too far in terms of not putting more land uh, into the marketplace for housing development. There's been a poor coordination between infrastructure funds like water, sewer, and roads towards land that's been approved for housing. And, Scott, honest to God, like it takes so long, so much red tape, and so expensive to get houses on the market these days that a lot of the investment dollars are simply going to other provinces or states instead. But as you've said, Tim, I mean, you know, if you've got a strong housing market, you're employing people, it creates lots and lots of spin-offs, jobs, it's great for the economy. It seems that we don't want that now for some reason. Is this because governments are trying to get us to build up and not out? They're trying to get us stacked up like cordwood as opposed to taking more green space land? <laughs> Well, it's a combination of all those things. So you, you hit on a couple of things on the supply side. There is a lot of land that's already been approved for housing development. There's just a lot of red tape that stands in the way, or you don't get the water, sewer, or roads to get you there. So we can do much better in that area. But the problem that we have is as of January 1, this new stress test is imposed by the federal government. And, and we're talking about the most careful savers, Scott. I mean, these are people who don't miss a mortgage payment, They've got a good track record. They've been careful savers so they can put 20% or more down when buying a home. So why in the world you'd want to punish that kind of good behavior, that good activity, is beyond me. Uh, do you think because interest rates are now finally, you know, let's let's be honest, since the recession 2008-ish, uh, interest rates have been unbelievably low. Many thought that they would have been increasing a lot quicker than what they did. Uh, we, we, whereas we've pretty much seen a decade of, of, of these rates, even lower than what our parents and grandparents uh, once had. Do you think that low, or the fact that the interest rates are slowly starting to creep up, there's a couple of more jumps expected by the Bank of Canada this year, that that would control what the government is trying to do? Yeah, there's no doubt when they, they thought up this stress test, it was in an environment of you know more rapidly increasing prices in 2017, since that point in time, we've seen 
three bumps to the interest rates, which then translate into higher mortgage rates. Certainly in talking to the uh, Realtor Association of Hamilton and Burlington, they say they have seen an impact as this new stress test has come into the marketplace. Look, I mean, you're probably like this, Scott. I am, and about two-thirds of Ontarians get fixed-rate mortgages. They get fixed-rate mortgages. They pay a little higher than the going rate today to hedge against future interest rate increases in over the three to five years of that fixed-rate mortgage. So that's a pretty careful decision that, that a lot of Canadians make. They're being careful and they're watching to make sure they can afford it, their own calculations, their own family. So, you know, why you'd put two more points on top of that and make it farther out of reach for middle-class families to upgrade or own a home, that's a bad decision by government. So now that mortgage rates are going up, particularly important for the Trudeau government to take that stress test off the marketplace. Has government uh, uh, acknowledged that because of these rates that this may need to be adjusted in the future? I mean, is this set in stone? You know, having been in politics for 21 years, you know, nothing is is set in stone. To date, they've not responded, but we're going to keep the pressure up on behalf of, you know, middle-class families and those who want to join the middle class. So recently, the Trudeau government, to their credit, brought forward a $40 billion housing plan. And a lot of good stuff in there, Scott, like helping out the homeless, reinvesting in some of the social housing that our cities have to make sure they can be upgraded. A lot of the stock is old and worn down. That's all good. We want to help our most vulnerable Ontarians. The problem the Ontario realtors have is there is nothing in there to help the middle class. So politicians talk a good game about the middle class, but there's actually working against them when it comes to housing policy. Are you concerned that if, for example, you you, you decided that, uh, I don't know, pick a date, in April 1st they would, uh, you know, reduce the stress test or, or make it easier the way that it used to be to, to, to purchase a house, if we were to do that, wouldn't we see prices immediately start to shoot up? What are your thoughts? Uh, no, because, you know, look, this is, you're not going out and buying a pair of shoes, right? You're not going out even buying a suit or a car. You're making the biggest investment you're ever going to make in your life, in all likelihood, in buying a home. Number one, always make sure you're working with a realtor, right, that knows where prices are going, good investments, what's happening in the neighborhood. That's the number one advice. But I believe that the vast, vast majority of Canadians are thoughtful in making those purchases. And just like my grandparents, sometimes that means you work a little harder. Maybe one of the spouses is at home to raise a kid when they're young and they go back in the workplace. These are decisions that all of us make, and I think we make them well. So why the government you know, suddenly decided that we're incapable of making these decisions, that's not good long-term policy, and it's certainly not good for talking about building and strengthening the middle class. So, uh, obviously, an election coming, Tim. What can the province do uh, to help stimulate this? What can the province do to help the middle class? You know, certainly, uh, as Ontario, the, the, the largest uh, province and greatest uh, share of the economy, it'd be great to see provincial politicians call on the federal government to pump the brakes and all this interference in the marketplace. It's hitting us the most. And secondly, you know, to the credit, the Wynn government... Uh, did listen to our lobbying efforts, and they doubled land transfer tax relief for first-time buyers. If they go even further, that could really help out a family in Ancaster or Burlington buying their home for the first time by waiving that uh, land transfer tax for your first home. You know, a lot of my realtor friends tell me that it's much easier to buy a home and upgrade once you're already in the marketplace, so let's help them achieve that first rung of the ladder. 
Uh, last year, about a year ago this time, uh, prices were riding high. They lasted, I think, through February, March, and then they, they just nosedived. Uh, how do you see this spring in the housing market? What, what, do the, what do people in real estate say about this coming uh, spring and summer season? Yeah, I think, like, for your listening audience, uh, you know, we did see an increase in prices uh, year over year in the Hamilton-Burlington uh, area. The problem is there was a significant drop in the number of houses in the market, both new listings and inventory. Niagara would be similar. Like, they're great places to live. More people are discovering that that's all positive. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is I'm thinking about those new Canadian families. I'm thinking about the sons and daughters of many of your listeners who, who've got a good job now. Maybe they're getting married. It is really unfair that the next generation will not have the same opportunity to enjoy home ownership like my generation had or my grandparents did. And I think that's the big issue when it comes to housing policy this upcoming provincial election campaign in June. All right, so uh, do you see this as, uh, obviously you've got a uh, op-ed piece, this op-ed piece in the Financial Post. Is this getting feedback? Are people listening to this? Is government listening? People are listening. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of support for our position, and I hope that eventually we'll force the government into action. Look, I, I understand, you know, the number crunchers at the regulators called OSPI in Ottawa. They'll look at overall debt levels. I get that, and that includes credit card debt and other types of debt. But I don't think they've thought through who those 50,000 people are who are going to be impacted, that young family that's trying to upgrade so their kid can get a bedroom of her own. It's not thinking about that immigrant family that wants to live in Hamilton and, and you know, open up a business. And it's not thinking also about many people who are now going to still go ahead, but they're going to go in the gray market. They'll go to the unregulated side of the lending equation. And when you go to the unregulated market, you tend to pay higher mortgage rates. So that means you're putting more money into debt and less into paying off the house. And it also means you don't have the same consumer protection. So you might be on the wrong end of a bad deal. Those are the unforeseen circumstances, and I hope they'll change your mind in Ottawa. All right, Tim, I can't let you go without uh, talking politics. Uh, What are your thoughts about what has happened uh, with now the PC party finding themselves in the midst of a a leadership race and now the former leader saying that these allegations are false and he will prove and and, and clear his name? Um, Does the PC party owe Patrick Brown anything here, especially if these allegations are proven false? A loss of signal. Got you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so, look, I, I mean, I've known Patrick Brown since he was a teenager. We served on the PC Ontario board when I was an MPP under Ernie Eve. So, I mean, this guy is studying his life politics. He's only, I think, about 40, 42, 43. So, of course, he's going to fight to clear his name, right? He's fought hard for that position. And he's gone now from potentially being premier, wondering if he could even run for the PCs in the next election campaign. So, you know, no surprise he's going to do everything he can to sow doubt in the stories, prove his side of the case. And on the leadership side, look, I, I, I got a lot of respect for people. Anybody can talk or anybody can bitch and moan. It takes a lot of guts to actually put your name on the line and tell people where you stand. So good for Doug Ford. Are you there, Tim? Oh, sorry. Oh, nope, yeah, you, 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 you're just dipping in and out, but go ahead. We hear you. Good for Doug Ford, good for Chrissy and Elliott, and good for Carolyn Mulroney in putting their names forward. 
And now, you know, PC voters will decide who they think can lead the uh, party. And then voters will get a chance to decide. But honest to God, this has been the craziest three weeks I've ever seen uh, in politics in my life. Your thoughts about the fact that there's no complaints filed or, or no charges filed and that these, at this point the alleged victims are anonymous. Did the PC party jump too quick to, uh, to push them out? So, I mean, that was caucus, really, right? I mean, caucus put pressure on, on Patrick to step down, and, and I get that because during an election campaign, you know, you've got to be talking about your plan and why it's better than the other two parties. And, you know, while I've you know, been a uh, PC MPP, I think it's in the interest of democracy to have, you know, really good choices. you got Andrew Horvath, very, very personally popular, experienced leader of the NDP. Kathleen Wynn, a very, you know, accomplished and determined campaigner. I think it's in the interest of, of democracy to have three good choices that lay out alternative plans. So I get where the PC party has come from, because they want to talk about their plans and not allegations. Yeah. And now we'll see what happens with Patrick. You know, what can he put on his side of the story now that he's a backbench MPP and not caught up in the campaign cycle? Are you surprised that recent polls show that despite what's happened with the PC party, they're still polling ahead of, of uh, Kathleen Wynne's liberals? You know, as much as you and I talk about it, I think people understand what's going on. There, a lot of people do not focus on the election choice uh, until, like, the last week. Like, I remember, Scott, um, when I represented Port Colbert in Niagara, knocking on doors, swear to God, one week left in the campaign. And there's lawn signs everywhere. You can't turn on your radio or your TV without hearing an ad. And a guy opens the door and says, there's an election campaign going on. Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, maybe, you know, maybe a little cloud of marijuana sort of sneaks up behind and all that kind of stuff. But my point is, you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to last week because, look, they're getting their kids to hockey or figure skating. They got money into the groceries and get food on the table, right? So that's the way life is. Tim Hudak has been with us, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Tim, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great day. Thanks for your time. And sorry about the interruptions there. No problem. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.